You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long and learn about ourselves and how to improve ourselves with endurance and a little bit of zen along the way. All right, this episode, we have a lot of cool stuff. We have the race director behind Uberman with us today. He's going to talk about the 2016 event and what what went down, and they're looking for more people that think that they can do it. Uberman is... The swim from Catalina Island to shore, California, and that's uh, 22 miles in the open ocean, <laughs> and then uh, that takes all day, and then uh, you bike 400 miles over a mountain range or two to Death Valley to Badwater, which is the start of the Badwater Marathon route, which then you run that, which pretty much you end up walking, I bet, a lot of that, and... One person finished last year. He's going to tell us about it, how long it took. Eight days. Eight days. And how you can join up and be involved as well. All right. And after that, let's see, we have how to use maple syrup in your diet, how to get more, or how do you say maple syrup is fuel? Several reasons why it's really awesome. How to get uh, more fat adapted. Uh, by fasting just a little while after your last workout, and then also how to uh, go about doing your first race. Kai has his first mountain bike race, and he did pretty good. And we uh, talk about how uh, you should handle your first race correctly so that you continue to have a great career for the rest of your happy days in the sports triathlon and you can do it for years and years and years and years and years and years but all right let's go ahead and do what we always do and start the show with a little bit of triathlon news here we go all right first up we have super league triathlon so chris mccormack uh who won the ironman world championships uh, a couple times has uh, been the spokesperson, the man behind this uh, new triathlon format, but it's also not new. It's uh, a revival of an old triathlon format uh, that was big in the 90s, uh, big in Australia. Um, It's called the F1 Formula One, and it's fast-paced, all different kinds of stuff going on, and uh, it's much more spectator-friendly and... It seems to be that this Island House triathlon that's been going on for the past couple years has uh, showed that this can be a lot of fun, especially with today's TV coverage and how nice you can uh, uh, get the spectators involved. And there's a huge crop of really fast guys that are um, really great at the short distance stuff and do not want to go long right now and shouldn't. And let's see... $100,000 first prize. So it's going to be a series of races. Big, big names. Let's see. We have Javier Gomez. He's big time. Cameron Dye. Mario Mola. A whole bunch of other people. So they're going to have a triple mix, equalizer format, eliminator format, all kinds of race formats. Um, It's just dudes right now. I don't know why they did that. 
And they said, oh, we're going to have girls in this uh, later on in the year. But that was kind of, could have been done a little bit better. Um, but yeah, pretty cool, huh? Uh, Super League. Look it up. See if it'll be on TV near you sometime soon. All right, next on the news, we have some, un- some unfortunate news is that female pro triathlete Beth Gertis, Gertis, Gertis has uh, tested positive for Osterine, which is some kind of weirdly uh, performance-enhancing drug uh, that I'd never heard of before. And so did another female pro. Uh, Beth is really popular and and uh, kind of famous. She's married to Luke McKenzie, who was one of the very first pros I ever interviewed on this podcast. And <clears throat> I'm uh, really good friends with her ex-husband. <coughs> oh, jalapenos from Freebirds. Oh my gosh, it got me. And um, Beth is, has... Um, uh, made a huge blog post describing in detail how it's theoretically ridiculous and impossible for her to be taking this. And, um, it's gotta be, uh, tainted supplements. And on one hand, uh, Jordan Rapp, who has an engineering background from, I guess, Princeton. And, you know, he's a pro triathlete. He's big time, big time guy. Wrote a long article on the odds of, of getting tainted supplements. And the odds are very, very small. Um, if, if you're not buying stuff that has pictures of lightning bolts coming out of your butthole or something on on the, uh, on the packaging on the bottle, but, um, kind of, uh, very possible if you're buying stuff that's just a little bit wacky and, and weird looking. And so you want to, you want to believe in, in Jordan. Um, but at the same time, you got to think supplement industry, they're packaging up a lot of stuff in a factory that's far away. And you get one guy who is, um, late to work a few times. He's trying not to get fired. Probably got a drinking problem. And out of millions of people working, of course, there's going to be one or two or 10 people like this in this situation. And uh, he's got to fill so many containers and uh, his bosses don't care. He just got yelled at and um, he starts filling containers with what whatever is around because he feels like crap and he's quitting tomorrow and he's leaving the area and there's no way to track anybody down anyway. So he just doesn't care and he could easily put stuff in, um, somebody could put stuff in your supplements. And I, the other thing is some of the testing to prove that, um, prove your case is you have to provide some of your supplements and it has to be a consistent amount in the stuff that you were taking. You provide, you know, like, oh, this is the stuff I was taking and they'll test that too. And say, oh yeah, you know, you've got so many the exact same amount of milligrams in this uh, that you have in um, in your system if you were taking it, and yeah, so it matches up. Uh, but I think when Beth gave him uh, some some samples of of some kind of I forgot what she was taking, but uh, or she thought it was, they found some osterine in it. But they said, well, one pill had a lot of osterine in it, and another pill uh, hardly had any. So, uh, what's in your bloodstream isn't consistent with what's in here. And it's like, are you, are you insane? Like, are you saying that, uh, contamination, 
should have quality of consistency in it. Like they're going, okay, this has exactly the same amount of, of uh, contaminant in it as I put in uh, every day. And every single pill has the exact same amount. No, it's contaminated. It can be totally random how much is in there and how much is not. And there was a, um, a big article a big investigative report. I remember listening on a podcast to, uh, I think it maybe it was on Tim Ferriss or something of a, uh, of an analyst that was, that bought a whole bunch of uh, a scientist. I think that bought a whole bunch of supplements and went around and then had them tested. And like 75% of them had, I, I forgot the number. Don't quote me on that, but a ton of them had different stuff than than what was supposed to be in it. It had illegal stuff. It had bad stuff. It had just random stuff in there. And it totally goes back to they're putting stuff in there sometimes that um, just to cover their butts because, I don't know, the company's going under and they, they run out of bags of the good stuff and they don't have any money. And so they're like buying, they got some bags of some other stuff kind of in the back and they just need to fill it up. And I can tell you this happens because I have seen with my own eyes I was hanging out, uh, this is God, this is 20 something, 20 years ago, maybe more, hanging out at somebody's house and he had weight gainer, you know, weight gainer 5,000 or something like that. And he promised to sell some of it to another guy, like in a Ziploc bag, so many grams, ounces of it, I don't know, whatever, you know, like a Ziploc bag full of it. Uh, and, you know, like split it 50-50. And the guy didn't want to, the other guy, the, the buyer wasn't around. So the guy selling it while I was standing there goes, man, I'm going to fill this with some other stuff. I'm going to keep more of it for myself. So it was like half weight gainer. And then he he put like flour or I'm trying to remember what he put in the other half. Um, that he just, but, but that wasn't even planned of what he put in there. He just walked around the kitchen and in his pantry and in the cleaning supplies, which is also really dangerous, and started just poking around for stuff that kind of looked like what looks like uh, what needed to go in there. And so when he gave it to this other guy, it was, um, 50% weight gainer and 50%, I think it was flour, right? But he could have put anything in there. Could have put baking soda. He could have put rat poison in there. He could have put steroids in there. And you're like, oh, well, steroids cost so much. Why would he do that? Well, what if he had a ton of steroids and he wanted to get rid of it? That it was like old or something like that. Then he would have put that in there. And I, so I've seen this with my own eyes, how when people are selling stuff, they can get really dishonest and uh, you can end up with contaminants in your, um, in your supplements. So until somebody tests every single batch of supplements every single time, oh man, and you want to, you want to ruin somebody's career. You don't like somebody. Um, you know, put supplements in their stuff when they're put out bad stuff in their supplements. Cause you know, they're going to get tested if they're like a top uh, athlete. And this, uh, Beth Garrett, Gertis is, um, really well known for being outspoken against doping. Uh, she's got a, uh, I think she's pregnant or got a kid on the, has a little kid or was trying to get pregnant. So why in the world would you take something that's dangerous anyway? Like it just goes on and on. So it doesn't make sense. And I agree with Beth. I'm on, I'm leaning towards her side. Um, but you know, you read the thing that Jordan wrote on slow twitch and you're kind of like, man, I mean, the chances are really small. So I don't know what to say to solve this problem, except, you know, buy really, really clean stuff that's certified clean and that's your best bet. And then, um, you know, just be vigilant and, 
you know, watch, watch what you can do. And there needs to be, there needs to be more, um, testing, uh, more testing of the product. And there needs to be a little bit of a committee of, um, well, this, this person has obviously has a case and, uh, probably should, um, not be, uh, in so much trouble for, for this. And let's, let's dig deeper and try to fix the industry instead of blaming the victim. All right. And of course, a little bit of my opinion is tainted because I, I've, uh, I've never met Beth in person. I just know of her and I've, uh, and I know a couple of the other people in her life and, uh, she seems like a really, really cool, badass person. And she went from being an age grouper to a pro and winning a full Ironman over, over many years and having a baby and like all the stuff. So, um, it's easy to, uh, feel her pain with this. So hopefully she said she's retiring. Hopefully she's not, hopefully she's, um, going to come back if, if, uh, she wants to. And, um, uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. Um, I might have her on the show as an interview guest, I guess, if she wants to talk about it. I think she's at the point where she doesn't want to talk about it. Or she was at that point for a while. You go through these stages of, of loss, you know, don't want to talk about it. At some point, she may do a 180 and go, all she wants to do is talk about it. <laughs> she's like, gotta come on your show and talk about this. This is crap. Anyway, let's see. We have um, next pod, speaking of guests, next podcast episode might be Taryn from Triathlon Taryn. He's a big YouTube guy. And we've been talking, and, and uh, we're trying to work out a date and time. We're both very busy dudes, so that's kind of uh, tough to do. And, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I, I love his attitude. And he's on the same boat, in the same boat as me, as I want more people to be triathletes and to do endurance sports. And then because the more of us they are, more of us there are, the safer it is for the rest of us. It's like cycling. The more, the more cyclists you have out on the road, the fewer get hit. Because drivers start going, hey, there's cyclists around here. You need to be drive careful. Like when you drive more carefully around a school zone, you know. So if everybody's swimming and biking and running, then communities kind of start engineering uh, all the available amenities and uh, equipment and facilities all towards swimming, biking, and running. Instead of like our local high school, the new high school uh, built a football stadium but no swimming pool, right? It's freaking ridiculous. And so... They sunk a lot of money into a you know million dollar uh, football stadium, but no swimming pool. So Kai is going to have to do what? What sport is he going to play? There's no swim team. It's ridiculous. So the more people we get um, uh, swimming, biking, and running, and that, that's why I like Taryn is he's, he explains how to do it. Takes the mystery out of it by watching his YouTube videos. So go check him out, and uh, maybe we'll have a show together. Oh, one last thing. I almost forgot. I got to try out an iPhone app called Treadmill Smart Speed. And this is really cool. You turn it on and it senses the bounce of your phone as your cadence. And then you can run on Zwift. So Zwift is the video game that so many people are biking on. It's super cool. It can sense the speed of your bike wheel or power coming off of your power meter. And then you bike in a video game and you ride around all over the place. And that's a whole other episode about how cool it is. It is very, very cool. I ride it a lot. And it actually uh, made Ironman Canada, which is one of the hardest bike courses out there. Um, the, it made the bike course of that pretty easy after riding on this game called Zwift a lot. And Well, Zwift added running. So you can run now in the game, but a lot of people 
said, well, how do I get this done? You know, I've got this power and speed sensor stuff uh, on my bike so I can ride indoors. Well, how do I run indoors so that I show up on this, uh, in this video game? And it's actually uh, pretty easy with this treadmill speed sensor, smart speed, treadmill smart, smart speed. And uh, which it has two different modes. Um, one is you can wear it in your, uh, on your hip. Um, you know, like I run with a little running waist pack all the time with bottles that attach to it. So I could just run with that or, uh, and it'll sense the bounce of the phone, or you can run with it on your arm, like armband. So, but either one of those ways, it can feel your cadence and then it can estimate speed from that. And at that point, it's acting like a, a foot pod. So you don't have to go out and buy a smart Bluetooth foot pod to just try this out and see if you like it. And then you play um, Zwift in front of you, uh, like on your computer. Or it's also Zwift is a iPhone, iPhone, iPhone app that you can play like on an iPad, uh, iOS app. So it can pick up your phone. And then the other mode that treadmill smart speed can run in is just a straight up speed. So you tell it, uh, you slide or press on the buttons on your phone, um, how fast you're running. And that's the way I tested it out. Oh, I, no, I did the bouncing with it in my hand. Uh, my treadmill's broken right now. I cracked the deck for a second time, uh, running too hard, too fast, <laughs> which, uh, I'm not an amazing runner. It's the fact that I weigh 180 pounds uh, and it's a you know civilian uh, treadmill kind of broke it again. And Emily can kind of still run on it, but she's getting wary of it and it's cracked on the middle. But anyway, so I tested this out and I actually really liked it. I got my guy running in Zwift. And yeah, if you do the the uh, second mode, it'll you say, I'm running. You just kind of match up uh, what you're running on the treadmill. I'm running um, six miles per hour, you know, or a 10 minute mile, whatever you want. It, you know, it goes very accurately. You can say, you know, 10.1, uh, I'm running a five minute mile, seven minute mile, you know, 8.2 minute mile, whatever you want. And it'll match it in Zwift. And, uh, yeah, you're running around all over the place. It's actually pretty cool. And once you're in Zwift, just like on the bike, you know, you can pick your outfit, <laughs> your hair color, your gender, and all kinds of cool stuff. And have a lot of fun out there. And then there's messaging with other people. They're out there with you. And you can ride around this fantasy island, which is really, that's the best. And then there's London and the countryside uh, in, uh, in England. And then also North Carolina. The bike course for nationals last year is in there. So that's it. I wanted to give that a mention and a big props to the developer who let me have a uh, free copy of that to test it out. And let everybody know about it. I was really honored to be uh, be a test monkey, and uh, but I'm, I wasn't testing it. I mean, it's done and it is cool. It really, really works. So go check it out. It is treadmill smart speed in the uh, the Apple iTunes Store for your iPhone. Go check it out. I also have an injury update. Let me check my battery on my recorder here. I've got an injury update. Um, I'll just keep it real quick. So I uh, am now running six. My last run was 6.2 miles. Uh, I got plantar fasciitis really bad. I tore my feet the F up uh, training for a self-supported Ultraman now two years ago. Um, and then continuing on into an Ironman uh, the, the summer after that. 
and uh, without stopping and really not knowing what was causing it, not knowing, I never had that bad, so I didn't know what was going on, so I just kept re-injuring it, but it was so worth it. <laughs> it sucks so bad right now, but it was so worth it, but um, the, the, ro the road to recovery is really long, and um, the number one cure is a night boot. You have to wear a night boot. That's the one thing that seems to work in a meta study of all the studies. Um, but I am now up to running six. So this is how to cure yourself of plantar fasciitis, by the way. A lot of times biking can cause it as well. So hill repeats, hard biking will make it worse um, or cause it or make you uh, slow down your recovery. And so you got to be careful of that. And so I pretty much stay away from really hard intervals on the bike. And I went to flat pedals so I can put the pedals more under my arches instead of out under the forefoot. Anything where you get out on your forefoot, like running uphill, pedaling hard with your cleats pushed forward, um, uh, injures it more or even causes the injury. And I've also started running on flat ground. Um, probably what helped cause it was um, we moved to a diff different section of the neighborhood that has sloped more sloped streets and I was running out in the street uh, like I used to in the old section of my neighborhood didn't like the sidewalks I like having some I like having some freedom some range of motion you know some space around me and there's not many cars so I just run out in the street and um, that tilt might be pronating um, I have Adidas Boost shoes Boost Ultras and it turns out um, the version after that the version I had I had two pair or three pair but the version after my latest version um, and that's the version that I, um, got injured in running in these. They added arch support and made an ST, which is stability version, ultra boost, Adidas boost ST, um, ultra boost ST running shoes to keep, I guess people were, um, getting, uh, arch injuries, plantar fasciitis maybe from running in these, running in these things. They're super cushy. I mean, they're insane. And, uh, that makes sense that, that's what caused it. But anyway, I found a way that I'm, um, what I wanted to share was a way that I'm recovering from this injury is I figured out if I do an out and back route or route and I go, um, let's say four miles, uh, then I turn around and come back and the next day my feet are pretty good, right? Feet don't hurt when I get up and walk in the morning. And it's also known as heel spurs, although that's not technically what it is. There's real heel spurs with bones, but uh, plantar fasciitis gets the same name by accident. But I'm, uh, so you walk up, you wake up in the morning and walk and it hurts your heels. It feels like you got spurs under your heel. And I'm, uh, the next day I don't feel bad. Then what I'll do is I'll add, I'll go another, you know, like uh, uh, a few mailboxes down the street or another light pole. And then that's my next run. And I'm waiting uh, 48 hours between runs so I can totally heal and, from the last run and then go. And then no hard efforts, very few hills. If I do hit a hill, I go up it very uh, easy. And then um, also jogging and not running, just jog very easy. And But anyway, the key seems to be, you know, the easy effort and then um, adding just a little bit of distance if... If my last run uh, seems like it didn't bother me and I'm uh, maybe uh, I'm slightly slightly more healed, this thing takes like six to nine months if you got it really bad to heal uh, on its own. Uh, 
Well, not on its own, with, with all the help you can get. <laughs> because it's a tendon, and tendons take a long time to heal compared to muscles, because there's no blood flow in tendons. It's relying on blood flow around it to kind of heal it, and uh, so it takes a lot longer. That's a really interesting thing. Any kind of injury that you got that's um, bone or tendon, that's why they take so long. If you got a muscle injury, uh, muscles have blood flow like going through them all the time, so they get healed faster as the blood repairs it. All right, now that we got all the news wrapped up, let's go ahead and get started with our interview with Dan from Uberman. Here we go. Welcome to the next level. All right, everybody, we are here with Dan Berku. I think I'm saying that right because I've never spoken to you in person and said your name out loud. We've just talked a lot via email about Uberman. Yeah, that's right, Brent. Dan Berku, correct. Berku, that's, that's yeah. pretty close. Pretty close. Yep. <laughs> All right. Closer and than most. You, I'm, I'm down in uh, Texas, and you're out in Southern California, I think. The, correct, the Malibu, Malibu, Malibu. Tell me about or tell the audience about Uberman. And I guess we should start off with the description of the distances. The, so the you want a physical description of the event? Yeah, what are the different parts of the race itself? Okay, so basically it's it's an ultra triathlon meets adventure race. So I don't remember if, if a lot of your listeners remember the old races from the 90s, you know, the Raid Goulet and the... Discovery Channel races, so it's sort of mm -hmm. a hybrid between the two. But it is a it is an ultra triathlon, so it's the three it's multi sport. The first um, event is swimming, which is a it's a 22 mile open ocean swim from Catalina Island to Los Angeles, which mm -hmm. I didn't know at the time, but it but it's one of the seven classic ocean swims on the planet, along with the English Channel, etc. Right. And then the second part the second part of the race is a 400 mile bike road bike race oh. uh, and that's from palos verdes california to badwater in death valley which is the the lowest uh, point in the continental so u.s on that bike ride doesn't uh, it kind of go over a mountain range isn't that kind of yeah Colorado? several it's, it's several. yeah it's, it's actually uh, tw <laughs> it's uh 20 20 000 feet of climbing in the 400 miles okay so not flat all right no it, it's 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 pretty there's some giant climbs and okay. then the last leg the last leg is basically bad water mm -hmm. um so it's a 135 mile run from bad water in death valley to whitney portal which is mount whitney the trailhead which is the highest point in the lower 48 so there's not really a time limit on the race right so that's how we get into the adventure part of it is that true correct there's no yeah, the, the, the basic, you know, the basic idea for the race just sort of grew out of a midlife crisis, which all of us have. And I figured I could either do something physically very challenging and make myself better or buy a Porsche. So I figured it was better right. to, to work out. Um, so I, I started off doing this, this course uh, two years ago for my 50th birthday and just kind of put it all, strung it all together over the course of a year. It took me about two weeks to do the whole thing in stages. Uh, I did the, the swim over four days, the bike over four days, and I think the run over six days. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then for, for last year's race, which was the inaugural edition, we had eight participants, three on a relay team, um, and they finished uh, basically in 112 hours, mm-hmm. which is approximately five days. And then we had one solo finisher who won the race, Giorgio Alessi from Sicily, and he finished the whole thing himself, and it was 190 hours, so about eight days. Oh, Okay, so I thought I didn't know that somebody actually won and an individual finished the whole thing. I thought um, yeah, George, Georgia, Georgio finished the whole thing, and and he's, eight he is Uberman for twenty sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> and and is the uh, wasn't the trophy like an actual anvil or something like that that you get? Yeah, so it's you know it's basically that it's the anti triathlon or the Zen triathlon. There's no entry fee; it's free. Mm-hmm. There's no sponsors. Mm-hmm. There's no T-shirts. There's no hat. There's mm-hmm. no aid stations. Uh, there's no one at the starting line or at the finish line. Mm-hmm. And the participants get a little pin, and the winner gets their name engraved on a real-life uh, size version of Thor's hammer, the Norse mythology creature. It's, it's stainless steel. It weighs about 50 pounds, and so you get your name uh, engraved forever, and you, and you keep it on there like the America's Cup mm-hmm. until the next year. When oh. uh, Brett Blanker's name goes on it, <laughs> you're enticing me. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, what about crewing? How do you actually? Oh, well, okay. So, Ultraman, which is awesome, but is a stage race, right? Like you get to sleep at night, and right. Uberman is continuous. You could sleep at night if you want, and I'm sure you will at points, right? But it's like you can just keep going. Yeah, it's a it's a tick it's a ticking clock. So everybody jumps off mm-hmm. the dock on Catalina Island at midnight into the Pacific Ocean, which you got to have big balls to do that. <laughs> it's <laughs> terrifying. And start swimming toward shore, uh, and then when you touch the trailhead in Mount Whitney, the clock stops. So you can sleep as little or as much as you like, uh, yeah. and that obviously affects your performance and your overall time. And we'll get into that, but I think. You know, Giorgio's philosophy of sort of low and slow, the the Italian, the Sicilian way, mm-hmm. pays off in a, right. in a race like this, which is it's like a giant CrossFit chipper. You have to chip away at the thing little by little. Right, and then the the uh, the swim. I was looking at even if um, all you manage to do, let's say you manage to do the swim, which would be a huge accomplishment anyway, and then you you say, okay, I'm done. Like you get on your bike. And then you go, you pedal like a mile and say, okay, I'm done. This is crazy. I can't do it. Um, you still swam one of the seven, what is it called? One of the seven classic swims or seven? Seven, seven classic ocean swims of the world. Yeah. Right. So we, we were, there was uh, one guy, Sam uh, Bucknell from Scotland last year. He swam the English Channel on Saturday mm-hmm. successfully. And then he jumped on a plane on Sunday, flew to LA on Monday, jumped into the channel of Catalina on like Monday night and right. he made it I'd say 80% of the way to shore and then we, he got pulled because he was too far back from another swimmer in his in his boat so last oh. year we had two swimmers per boat this year it's just going to be one swimmer per boat so there, there's no right. spread like that so but, um, yeah the, the first place the first guy out of the water uh, is a real strong swimmer mm-hmm. uh, looked like the Terminator and he did it and 14 and a half hours 
he got out of the water and basically, you know, just collapsed and he couldn't <laughs> get out of bed the next, he couldn't get out of bed the next day to do the bike. So right. he missed, you know, he, he missed the whole next day on the bike. He actually ended up driving out to Mojave desert and did, you know, parts of the bike and a little bit of the run, but yeah, he was, he, you know, basically cashed himself out on the swim. And, and so that, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the swim, that that to me, well, I guess there's there's um, even though it's free, um, you have to uh, work with getting a boat chartered uh, or working with you've got available captains that you can help get that arranged, right? And yeah, I mean we have we have a couple uh, references. There's a group called the Bottom Scratcher that he's done about 200 uh, successful mm-hmm. swim crossings of, of Catalina for yeah. for swimmers. We're not going through the Catalina Swim Association because they have all these rules: no wetsuits can't touch the boat, et cetera, et cetera. And we're obviously allow wetsuits. And if someone needs to touch the boat, if they have a cramp or something like that, you know, we're stressing safety over. um, Right. Yeah, I agree. And then, um, people concerned about sharks. Um, there's never been a, I mean, there's sharks, sure. But how worried were you about sharks and how real, how real is the shark problem? I actually, I'm actually Googled that, um, before I did it two years ago. And (laughs) again, it's like, (laughs) Statistically, statistically, you're much more likely to get uh, blown up in a terrorist attack or hit by lightning than eaten by a great white shark. I think there's only been like two in the last 50 years or something. And our captain that I had, he'd just done the, the crossing for 20 years, never seen a, a great white. We saw uh, John Chung, who the champion swimmer, did the swim last year. I think it was 18 hours. He did see one little shark, which we have on video, but it was maybe like two feet long. So. Yeah. I think I think the, the the bigger danger on the swim is actually the freighters because you're in a shipping lane between Asia and California. So there's these freighters that are coming by, you know, in the middle of the night. They're as big as office buildings. So that's why you need a boat, right, um, to escort you so that you can dodge the the, the boats and the squid boats. But the, the freighters are the biggest challenge. You have to be careful of those things because they can't turn very quickly. You just have to avoid them. Yeah, and then. Well, let's talk about what happened last year. So, on the swim, you, how many people started? In the- so we had we had we had four swimmers start, mm-hmm. and three out of the four made it. It was fourteen and a half hours, uh, sixteen hours, and eighteen hours. And okay. you start out go, you start out going pretty fast, and a lot, everyone was swimming at night, which is kind of creepy. You have glow sticks on and. A ki- everyone has a kayak next to them, but you have to have a, re- a lot of mental strength and fortitude to swim in the Pacific Ocean at night, you know, yeah. 3,000 3, feet deep and dark and it's, you know, it's spooky. So you have to be mentally tough, obviously, and physically tough and follow the kayakers. And then as you get to shore, the sun's out, but the current gets much, much stronger. So after like noon, the current's pulling north to south towards San Diego basically whips you down so every swimmer got swept south um and ended up between like a quarter mile and maybe three miles south of the the swim finish line but we counted it as wherever they came to shore that's where they you know started the bike or did the handoff to their bike relay person okay i got you yeah the um when we did the tahoe swim we started at 4 a.m or 3 a.m and then swam with glow sticks and kayaks with glow sticks and it was in the pitch black because i don't think there was a moon it, it felt like you were in space you're just yeah floating. it's cool it's cool 
Yeah, it's cool, but yeah, Tahoe's super deep too, right? So you're like, <laughs> it's almost like a fear of heights. It's at some points um, because it's yeah, and and then that's true. Yeah, and then another thing that differentiates, you know, our our race, which is more of an odyssey, a travel odyssey, I think, than than anything else, is a little bit of Nietzsche and Homer and Leonardo da Vinci all thrown in one. Right. The the race and the resources needed to complete it, but there's no real communication for the majority of the race. You're off the grid. So obviously there's really no communication in the Catalina channel. Uh, there's very little on the bike, except when you're going along the shore and there's very little in death Valley uh, for the hmm. run. So maybe that's off, uh, the, off the grid. You're off the grid. Most of the time. Uh, very Zen like. Yeah. The, the opportunities now, for people with the um, the new GPS transceivers that are like, um, they actually have a little bit of satellite built into them too, so they can fall back. Yeah. When you get out a cell phone, would be something to look into for this if you wanted to keep people, if you're an athlete that wants to do this, and you said you're looking for six more for this year, yeah. then um, then they would, uh, yeah, they'd want one of those uh, transceivers. Uh, GPS things on, if they wanted to, to let everybody know where they are. It makes it a whole lot more fun if you got sponsors and, or you're raising money for charity while you're while you're doing this. It'd be kind of cool. So then, yeah. let's so let's move on to the bike. So that people get out and they get on the bike, sorta. Did yeah, anybody so get on the bike the first day? Much, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it's it's pretty hard for mm -hmm. almost any human being to swim, you know, sixteen, eighteen hours across the open ocean and then get out and you know have a Gatorade in a in a protein bar and get on the bike but right yeah you know, we'll see this year the the athletes get stronger every year but typically mm -hmm. i think everybody everybody sleeps although on the relay obviously they're ready to go so on uh, last year's team john chong swam uh, the swim leg and he's a, a world champion swimmer and um he handed off to shangri-la rendon on the bike and she has she's a, a quintuple anvil world record holder so she's pretty strong. So she got right on the bike and started pedaling, uh, in the afternoon, which turned out to be, uh, the Santa Ana winds, which are like hurricane force winds that come off the desert. Mm -hmm. She was getting blown, blown all over the place. So the bike rides up Pacific coast highway through Malibu across the mountains, uh, into the Mojave desert. And it, it basically took her and again, she's a really strong rider, took her about 51 hours of almost continuous biking wow. and a little bit of rest to make it out to Badwater. Right. And I looked at some of the um, course on Google Street View and yeah. it's it's epic. It's also very desolate at times, but it's it's like it's like overwhelming in its emptiness and like and then the yeah. the mountains are so like they're like bare, you know. And then, but it, I only saw yeah. just a tiny part of it. I didn't even get into the eastern, uh, really into the desert parts yet. It's interesting though, because it's a really uh, topographical, you know, great variance. Because again, the first the first day or so, bike there was hundred miles plus are all through Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach, and you're going along the bike path, and then you're up in Malibu and the beaches, <laughs> yeah. and it's beautiful, and then you go across the farmland. In Oxnard, so it's a lot of varied terrain. You really mm -hmm. don't get out to the Mojave Desert to around, you know, mile 200, halfway point in the town of Mojave. And then you start to ride on these giant solar farms. And, yeah, it's, it, it is desolate, but it's really beautiful. And, again, it's just very 
you know, very um, unusual topography along the way. Again, a lot of it off the grid. So Shangri-La team uh, got lost several times. The streets are, you know, giant grid. They're kind of like uh, where the streets have no name, like you two. Yeah. There's Joshua trees ev- everywhere and streets run into, they just end or they get buried by sand. And so you have to have a lot of resourcefulness to navigate out there. But they, they made it out to, uh, most riders made it out to Badwater uh, in about two days of riding, about between 48 and 51 hours of riding. Wow. And then, well, yeah, I guess your crew and your navigation skills will really help. And what about extra bikes? Did people bring extra bikes Um, in case parts broke or or what? Yeah, I think think there were extra bikes out there. The original intent of the course, like when I did, and I don't know, I'm sure you have some purists in your audience, but the original intent was to do the, was to see if someone could do the whole uberman course solo and unsupported except for the swim obviously you need a, a boat and a captain but mm-hmm. most of the time when i when i did it myself two years ago i like pre-stationed water and gatorade and bars and a sweatshirt or sleep bag at different like campsites or motel along the way and try to do the majority of the bike and the run solo and with without anybody just to be out in the desert you know with your own thoughts and um going on sort of a vision quest right i've done that <laughs> yeah i mean obviously it's <laughs> not it's, on hard, purpose it's obviously harder to harder to do um it's smarter to have you know support or someone following you but i'd say you know of the riders had no one needed a second bike everyone pretty much did it on 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 road bikes and um there were a couple parts of the course that were washed out from floods where they had to go on some gravel and things but by and large the, the roads are paved and um you know, you can get where you need to go on a, on a good road bike. Yeah. I, I kind of like the idea you're saying of the vision quest thing. Cause when, when I did a, the self-supported Ultraman, um, I was out there all on my own and the goal was to see what happened whenever I, I hit the point where I couldn't go anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, try to discover a, a different version of you through the, through the through the effort what happened you know what happened yeah. how, how do you deal with it when you realize that now you're <laughs> you're in something bigger than you can handle so now what do you do well i, th- I think that's yeah. right and i think that's what's different about this event or challenge than any other race that's out there is i mean even the the anvil the quintuple iron man or the decos or triple deckers they're all on pretty much closed courses so mm-hmm. you're swimming in a pool or a lake or you're riding in circles on some regional park um, or state park and are running on a track. And here it's completely open. So you're in the Pacific ocean or the Mojave desert or the Sierras and there's nothing you're not, you're basically going point to point and it's a journey to a, a destination, which is completely the opposite of all these other races where you're basically just going around in circles. Yeah. All right, so then you had how many athletes make it finish the bike? We went from four to three <laughs> on the swim yeah, to the bike, and, uh, and on, then on the on the on the bike we had three. Um, we had an, another relay team that had a swimmer mm-hmm. and a biker. This guy Tobias Friends uh, from Austria. So 
his swimmer completed the swim and then he got on the bike and he rode the bike. He made it to Badwater and then he conked out on the run. So we had, he finished the bike, Shangri-La finished the bike is two, Giorgio finished the bike is three. So we had three bikers basically finish the bike. So when they get off the bike and now they're in bad water, I mean, can they walk? at all after a bike ride like that <laughs> they, do they start running i think i well again it depends on the person the 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 relay team you know obviously was oh yeah was preset but um you know so they they were good to go and and their uh runner started running right after he made the handoff mm-hmm. at badwater um but the other um the other runner dropped out uh tobias was out and then uh scott was out Giorgio, again, who ended up winning the thing, was slow and steady. So he he took he had the right attitude. Basically, he took the first night off after the swim, had a nice dinner with friends and family. I caught up with him on the road, Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu. He pulled over for a cup of espresso. So he was treating it as a as a journey more so than a race. And I think he's done you know dozens and dozens of ultra endurance races around the world, and he knows what it takes to get a, you know, to finish these things. So, yeah. uh, he didn't make, he didn't make it out to Badwater until several days after everyone else. But after each leg, he would get a good night's sleep, um, you know, rest and rejuvenate and then start the next, uh, section, you know, fresh. So the only person that started running right from Badwater, uh, was the relay team. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, Albert Lipfinger. And he was also a world record holder of the quintuple iron, Anvil Ironman, and he started running, I think, at 11 o'clock that night on the, the third day. So they were three days out, basically, uh, okay. from the finish line. So and, how, um, how was and his run? Was night. His, his run was tough. I mean, he's a, a really strong runner, mm-hmm. running the Alps and everywhere else. But I think the, the loneliness and the fatigue and the lack of sleep and the wind and everything really beat him down. So, uh, yeah. I think he, yeah, Rich may, I mean, if you look at the winning bad water times, even with, you know, Dean Carnassus and people like that, they're still averaging maybe like 12 to 20 minute miles. It's yeah. just really a long slog and there's huge climbs out there and kind of difficult wind and blowing sands and sandstorms. And he would basically, I think he was, he was running about, you know, maybe, five, 10 miles at a clip. And then he'd, he'd pull over the side of the road and sleep in the van or lay down in the dirt. And, uh, he just ate pretty much chocolate bars <laughs> and, uh, orange <laughs> thing yeah. the whole time for, uh, I think it took him 48 hours to do the run. And there's, again, there's different places you can stay, even though it's death Valley, you can still mm-hmm. stay at Chris Creek or stovepipe. Well, there's little campsites and then there's two huge climbs, uh, town paths, um, and I think Dante's after that, and each one's about 5,000 feet and right. so the, we- the weather changed also. So, you know, in, in, uh, Catalina on LA, before we started, it was about a hundred degrees with Santa Ana winds. And then by the time we got up on town pass and over to Mount Whitney, it was in the thirties, forties, even some snow, um, over up on Mount Whitney. So definitely oh, wow. conditions. And then again, most of the run, is off the grid. So there's no cell phone reception in Death Valley. There's very little GPS. There's no email, uh, even at the resorts. It's very hard to get um, connect connectivity. Wow. Um, but it's also, it's also a beautiful place. I mean, a lot has been 
written about. And one of the one of the things, one of the ideas that Uberman resonated with me is I wanted to find something really hard to do for my 50th birthday, and I googled the hardest race on earth, and Badwater came up. And then as I read further, I'm not a, a strong athlete either. That you have mm. to pass all these these tests and qualifications. You have to be probably one of the top 100 runners in the world to qualify for Badwater. And so my right. thought was, well, why do you have why do you have to be the top hundred runner in the world to run battle Why can't anybody go out there and run through, run the course, run the death Valley. And same thing with swimming from Catalina. Why do you have to get the Catalina swimming federation to bless you? Why can't you just jump in the Pacific ocean and start swimming? It should be, all these races should be mm-hmm. free or the course is at least available to everyone. And that's part of the, like the Uberization of, of ultra endurance events, um, right. like a pun on the name. Think it should be open to anyone that wants the challenge without having to spend like the enduro man race arched arch that's a twelve thousand dollar entry fee uh to get from trafalgar square to arc de triomphe in paris right uh, similar to similar to uberman i think it's flatter and easier except the swim but it's a twelve thousand dollar registration and you know we don't charge anything yeah that was my feeling about ultraman in hawaii or florida was okay with modern technology you okay let's say we did this um 40 years ago right well no one would ever know you did it and with modern technology because a lot of doing something is to be able to show that you're doing it or that you did it because then that's kind of your validation and your your i wouldn't even call it competition but maybe validation is is uh, being able to show that you did it. And now with modern... So like Strava has come along and you can compete against other people anytime you want on the same stretch of road, right? So you don't have to wait for a race and pay an entry fee to see if you're the fastest person to climb that hill. You can just go do it and it'll record your time and then you can compare it to anybody else. So with uh, when I did the Uberman or the uh, ultra ultra baby is what I called it. Cause I did a fundraiser for March of dimes for children. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's great. I did. Uh, I invited other people to do as much of it as they wanted, wanted to with me. And we had a lot of people do like lots of it. It was fun pieces of it, you know, or whatever they wanted to do. And then um, just uh, wrote a blog post every night and took uh, tweeted some pictures as we were doing it. And I had a GPS record of the distances and I was like, I did it. it. It was cool, you know. And when something's long enough, it doesn't matter how fast you did it. It just matters that you that you tried even and how far you got, right? And what lessons you yeah. learned. It's not even that you finished it. Sometimes a lot of if it's real, it's like this Uberman that you're talking about. It's just having the guts to even try and see how far you get. Yeah. And what you what you what 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 you learn along the way. And I couldn't. I didn't want to spend uh, the entry fee for Ultraman is like $2,000 or something like that. And I'm like, I don't want to spend $2,000 and then find, and then my bike breaks like halfway through it. And then I'll never know when I can just do it on my own or, you know, it's just a dis it's distances and a challenge. So that's what I really liked about, about yours was when I signed up last year, you asked for people to donate a hundred dollars to the charity of their choice. That was your entry fee. (laughs) Do you remember? Yeah, and uh yeah. Yeah, and so I was like, "Oh, this this is awesome. This is right up right up my alley." And um 
what were some of the things that you saw um, that people struggled with that maybe they expected or didn't expect? I think, like, like you said, I'd say 50% of the effort is just getting to the starting line. We had so many people, you know, yourself included, that had extenuating circumstances that were signed up or committed or trained, but they mm-hmm. they got hired at a new job or fired from an old job or their wife had a baby or they moved or they got injured. And I think just getting to the starting line is more than half the battle. Right. Um, and then, you know, once, once you're out there, I think the biggest thing that people struggle with was sort of like the, the lack of communication was the big one because we live in, in such a connected world and everything is about instant feedback and Strava and, yeah, part of the reason we started Uberman is because it's sort of the anti-Malibu triathlon, which is based here and run by a friend of ours. But everything's about corporate sponsors and oh, men's yeah. health and, and J-Lo and how many you know mm-hmm. people she has in Universal Studios with their team of 100 people and $15,000 tri-bikes. And ours is completely different. All you really need is you know a swim, a wetsuit, a kayak. Uh, a bike and a pair of running shoes. Yeah. Like the David Goggins from Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, and that's it. And you can jump in and go. And so I think people that are used to, again, like the GPS feedback on everything, the Strava routes didn't work or they weren't detailed enough out there. They couldn't uh, contact, you know, their, their people back home or their support crew got lost or ran out of gas or whatever. And I think that's what threw most people, because a lot of triathletes are really, type a you know mm-hmm. it, as you know which i think is different about uh you know i think this this course is like the course is more donald trump in nature but the personality to, to finish and do well is more obama you have to be yeah. really subtle and and have a lot of finesse to get through the challenges and i also think it's more of a a team effort so you're 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 with other people which makes it cool better than just doing it on your own like i did but when everyone ran into each other on the course spread out over a thousand miles, you know, it was a big sense of camaraderie and cheering each other on. They're just glad to see another human being. Um, and so I think the, the real ops, the real obstacles or the real competition was the Pacific ocean or the Mojave desert or the Sierras, not the other, mm-hmm. you know, eight people who, who were, you're running. You really were cheering those mm-hmm. other people on to try to get to the finish line. So, you know, again, you'd have some company. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, when I go for a bike ride, my longer bike rides, actually all my bike rides, I like to be by myself. And um, I got a route that ends up being 50-something miles. And if a bike pack shows up, I actually try to let them go and move away mm-hmm. so I can ride by myself, so I can enjoy the countryside and um, enjoy it to myself and not be all caught up and trying to keep up with somebody else or or whatever. I, I can just look at my breathing and my heart rate. And uh, if I'm riding my bike with a power meter, then like, you know, I'm working my body and like, I know what I'm doing, hopefully. And then if, if what's yeah, so not- cool is if something breaks, it's up to me to fix it, which is fun. I kind of like it. Right. Yeah. You have to have a lot of self-reliance. Mm-hmm. On, on this course again the, the idea is not to have teams of, or crews of vans and news media stuff you know we don't want that because that right. just attracts attention and don't want to have to pull permits through the you know death valley and all that that's why chris kaufman had to cancel or move the race in the past because it turned into so much of a circus it's really more of like a group ride mm-hmm. or a group race of you know 12 super 
people out doing something. And also, you know, we really like to find in is that people that are not super athletes at all, but just, I mean, again, I don't consider myself much of an athlete at all. I didn't let her in any sport in high school. I'm not a good swimmer. I could barely run and I'm terrible at biking, but I did manage to get through the whole course, you know, on my own. And I think that the right. lesson, and I'm 52 and anybody could do that. I think if you're stubborn and if you set up for me, is if, if you set a goal and set a job, the idea of Uberman is to set like the biggest goal possible. I think that's what gives people the inspiration to get out of bed every morning and train. I mean, it's great if you want to go out there and do a 5k or whatever. And I think that's cool. I'm just, I'm happy that anyone does it. But I think if you have something that's just so impossible that no one thinks it can be done, that's really motivation um, to go out there and do it. And then I think for last year, for the, the first year of the race, everyone treated it as a mission impossible. No one thought that this thing was doable and uh, everyone thought it was a pipe dream. And that's why it was really happy that, you know, four individuals finished it three in a relay and one solo Yeah, to that's, prove it can be done. Yeah, that's uh very good that somebody finished it. <laughs> Cause, Cause yeah, you're like, uh, and the, the other thing is, um, I, my opinion, having done, you know, the triathlon stuff, for so long now and seeing people come into the sport that like exactly what you're saying, no background in endurance sports, um, just in a couple years become fantastic at it. Right. Really shows that, um, it seems to me that humans, if you are a human, you are good at endurance sports. It's some are faster yeah. than others, but by nature, the fact that you're human means that, that you're good at at going long. That's actually what we're made for: is going long and enduring, and figuring it out. And we're, we're a walking, we're a walking, jogging brain, you know. As so, uh, right? Can you, you hear? Yeah, I, I lost you just for a second. You said about the horse, yeah. the horseback race versus human. Yeah, the, there's a close to Death Valley. Uh, there's a race, man versus horse, a hundred mile race, uh, runners against guys on horseback yeah and do humans win sometimes the right? human the, the men yeah the humans usually win <laughs> that's so cool okay what about blisters did people have blisters like crazy how did they take care of their feet yeah i think the um hold on a sec. the the blisters were especially prevalent on on the swim um you know uh scott sambucci was first out of the water he you need to wear the wetsuit for warmth out there. Although two of the swimmers didn't wear wetsuits, but they, yeah, the guys that wore wetsuits got horrible blisters uh, around their necks and armpits, and everything from obviously the repetitive motion of doing crawl for you know 16 hours. So right. the worst blistering, worst blistering I saw was on the swim. I think on the bike everyone's okay, and then on the run uh, there was there were blisters but not as bad as, as what you've seen on some of the you know bad water race footage and stuff like that we also did it in october as opposed to july so it was perfect running conditions it was like you know 80 degrees during the day and, and like 50 at night versus oh, 130 yeah. degrees. that's so nice hard enough so do you think in the in the, the blisters in the swim were also because i've done freshwater long distance swims, but what about the salt in the, in people's mouths? Doesn't it drain, doesn't it dry out and swell up your mouth or something? 
I didn't see I didn't see the mouth showing, but it maybe the salt water contributes to the friction for the on the wetsuit for the yeah. blistering. Okay, so if people are interested in this, one thing uh, there's lots uh, having having done some swims with Jamie Patrick, and he's the he's an open water swimming guru and his friends. There are ways people that are out there listening. There are ways to prevent the blistering and chafing. You can do like this uh, mix of baby diaper cream and in, in the spots ahead of time, and then. Um, I'm trying to think what else might be a deterrent people might be thinking. Oh, you can watch on YouTube videos of people doing bad water. There's lots of documentary videos that will get you all motivated. And you got to remember that that's done in July. <laughs> Those right. videos of everybody struggling and about dying out there. So like you're saying, it, your your event is um, in October, right? And Yeah, we, we, try, we tried to pick the time where I cross-correlated at the – Ocean temperature in the Pacific is the warmest, and the air temperature in the Mojave Desert is the coldest. Mm-hmm. And, and October, mid October is the perfect time. So this year's race starts October tenth. Yeah, and and I, as I was getting ready to train, I was training and getting ready to do it last year. Um, I I did a little bit of research and was looking at the temp, ocean temperatures and the and bad water temperatures, and they looked ideal. It it looked like it. Yeah, made la- a lot la- of sunscreen, Pacific, and that's about it. Yeah, last year the Pacific Ocean was a ball. It was a seventy-seven degrees, which is oh my god! You know, I think once in a in a half century it gets that warm, but it yeah. was really beautiful. Again, like two of the swimmers did it uh, without a wetsuit this past year. Right. Okay. And then, um, how do people get in touch with you if they um, are interested and want to find out more? Yeah, the best way to get in touch with me is. Uh, email and you could also go to the website and take a look at it we have the course mapped out and we have last year's results some photos etc and it's www.uberman1.com okay so the number U-B-E-R-M-A-N one e-r-m-a-n one yeah the number one.com okay. and uh, assuming you're interested um after you check it out you can email me is the best way dan burke is my name my email is d is in dan b is in boy E-R-C-U at B-E-R-C-U L-L-C dot com. D-B-E-R-Q at B-E-R-Q L-L-C dot com. And again, the race is free. I don't make any money off it. Um, We just want to put out an amazing challenge to everyone in the world and see who shows up to do it. And and the goal is to really have fun and to, you know, push the outer edge of what people think is possible and to get away from technology and society and competitiveness and, and Strava and all those things and just get out in the, you know, the majesty of the desert and the ocean, the mountains and, and see what you're capable of doing. I think it's, it's the greatest challenge out there. And, uh, you know, we open it up to whoever would like to participate. We're going to cap it though at 12 people. So six are signed up for this year. We have six more spaces Mm-hmm. It's more of, again, like a, a family or group outing than a large race. You just can't be responsible or track that many athletes because it's a huge right. course. You know, right. it'd be dangerous, and we just want to keep it small and um, intimate. Right. Yeah, I'm on, I'm, I'm, I'm on track to be in it, but my feet are not – they're on the verge of healing, you know. So okay. I got plantar fasciitis really, really bad, and then it takes months, and I can't run very much 
to um, to let them heal. I can bike. Turns out I can bike, but I have to wear. I have to ride on platform flat pedals, and anytime I pedal uphill, I have to push my feet forward to more on my heels instead of the arch. And yeah. that seems fine. Um, so I can. I'm to the point where I can train on the bike, and then I'm running. I'm up to three to four, sometimes five miles on dead flat ground, and that doesn't seem to aggravate it. And That's good. Well, and I, I, I heard that uh, David Goggins' podcast on Rich oh, Roll recently. Yeah. He was the toughest guy on the earth, and I think he came in second on Badwater after or beat Carnassus, and he walked the whole way. So right, you could you could you can speed walk the Badwater course almost almost as fast as as Dean Carnassus. So those guys can run because so much of it is climbing and descending, and you know it's it's tough. So you don't have to be. Like I said, you don't have to be a sprinter to do bad water. You just have to be slow and steady. It's more of like a jog, you know, jogging at twenty mile, uh, twenty minute miles to get you through it. And, yeah, that's and, something and you hiking, ought to, you know, that what? people ought to think of is like, uh, how much running are you actually going to be doing? You know, it's more of a speed walk, anyway. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of it is flat, empty stretches, but there are some mammoth climbs. And again, I think. You know, and also, uh, you know, my I have sensitive feet and heels too. I ran, I'd say, eighty percent of it on the soft shoulder uh, as opposed to the pavement, so that saved my feet. And I did all my training running on tra- dirt trails, no training on pavement, and eighty yeah. percent of the race on the soft shoulder. So yeah, I got a question about that. The uh, the Badwater course, it's a road, but. I, yeah, you see people riding on the shoulder or running on the or walking on the shoulder. Is it sloped or is it generally flat, or can you switch sides? Yeah, I think it's, cares? it's 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 yeah. It, there's not a lot of traffic, so you could run right down the middle of the road. Uh, I tended to run on the shoulder on the soft shoulder. It's it's a slight slope, but it's definitely flat enough to run on. And then there are also portions. Uh, where you're on like a dry lake bed, which is really cool. Like we ran into a, a sandstorm and the road was covered. So we went off the road mm-hmm. onto the desert and ran flat parallel to the, to the highway on the, on the dry lake bed. And you could, it was, it was firm packed and empty and flat and beautiful. It was like running on the moon and oh, you could cool. do that for miles as well. Yeah. All right. Well, it- you might have convinced me then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I want to walk, do it more than if, anything. If you can, if you can, if you can, if you can walk, you can do the course. I mean, that's, that's true. Cause you're going to end up walking line. anyway. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, at least until some ringer comes along and manages to run most of it. That, that'll probably be another five years. If somebody can do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if, I think if, you know, if you're one interesting thing too, is most people at these distances become specialists. So there are great open water swimmers. There are great runners of bad water. Mm-hmm. I emailed, um, you know, a, a, a number of them, um, and uh, emailed great cyclists like Lance Armstrong, if you're like that, but m- most of them chicken out because of the swim, they, yeah. you know, they're just terrified of the water. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's, uh, and that's the biggest thing, but it's hard to find people that are strong in all categories, in the water, on the bike, and, and yeah, can that's, run. So, that's, and that's almost that's impossible to get that good. Cause I was thinking about, you know, by the, by the time you train for a, a Catalina distance swim, you've had to, you know, not do other things. 
So how do you, you can't be a world-class cyclist and train to swim Catalina at the same time. You got to give, you right. give I something think that, up. Yeah, I think that, again, from talking to the guys last year in Georgia, I think just being all around fitness, like training as you would for an Ironman mm-hmm. at those distances, but, but throwing in some CrossFit, you know, and weightlifting and hiking mm-hmm. and other things are the way to go because your, your muscles are going to go out you know, before other things, if you're just strong all around, have basic overall fitness and stamina, that's the best thing. You don't need to be a world-class swimmer, you know, to get through it. You just gotta, you just gotta plug away at it. Yeah, I think, and that's, strong. I think that's the key. And then the, yeah, the last time I saw Giorgio Alessi, who, who's the only guy right now on the planet that's done the whole thing, he was riding along in the middle of the Mojave desert. He had no bike helmet on, no sunglasses, no sunscreen, and he was listening to opera music and biking up a giant mountain. And, uh, and that's really the, the philosophy and, and way to get through it. And that's how yeah. he did it. Cool. All right. Well, did, uh, did I not ask you anything that you wanted to get out there? Or we got it covered. Is there um, anything? Uh, I, I, missed? Think, I, I think, I think we got it covered. So All I right. look forward to, uh, to you joining and, and mm-hmm. six other intrepid souls and uh, look forward to hearing from you guys. Yeah. And then also uh, when I got closer to doing it last year, I started having a lot of fun uh, starting to put together the support team. That was really neat. People coming out of the woodwork going, yeah, man, like, I, I don't want to do it. I just want to go see this and go, yeah. you know, to the Southern California mountains in the desert and the ocean and just be part of it. It looks like fun. So, Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great adventure at the very least. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Daniel. All right, Brett. All right, rest your feet, and I look forward to seeing you on Catalina. You got it. All right, thanks, Dan. And by the way, if you want to check out Uberman, there's a website, uh, Uberman, and then the number one, uh, .com. There's some kind of other Uberman, like a guy that was all into driving Uber vehicles and started up a blog or something like that about his adventures. This is not that. This is a really pretty uh, website, and it's got some stuff from last year. And it's got maps of the crazy course on it. And go check it out, uberman1.com. And if you're interested in doing it, uh, give a shout out to Dan. He is definitely interested in hearing from people. All right. Okay. Let's see. What else do we got? Oh, let's uh, mention a sponsor and then hop on over to donations and... uh, Oh, I got an email with a question in it. All right, let's uh, let's do the uh, let's do a commercial. <laughs> okay, now let's do a sponsor. That's what we call it. Let's go. All right, let's take a break and mention Amrita bars. Oh, I just had one. Where is it? Where's the wrapper? It was the chocolate maca 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 attack. Let's see. Let me go get it right here. Because they have regular energy bars and then they have their recovery energy bars here. Oh, Amrita plant-based nutrition. Chocolate maca, 15 grams of protein in one bar. How about that? I have I have the high-protein ones after I swim. Oh, man, it's such good stuff. They have all different kinds of flavors. They are non... Uh, I wouldn't say non-allergenic because that's, that's like... Uh, it's not the right wording. Hypoallergenic? <laughs> there's no nuts. They use seeds instead for the protein. So if you have a nut allergy, there's no worries there. 
They are uh, vegan friendly and uh, no animal products used inside. Uh, Gluten-free, dairy-free, peanut-free, soy-free, long time, long, long time uh, sponsor of the show. Kai was in a soccer game today, drinking out of an Amrita water bottle. Speaking of the other stuff they make, they have all kinds of cool gear. And he scored two goals. Now, if you eat Amrita bars, will you score two goals in life? Probably. You never know. Got to find out. And you can find out by going to amritahealthfoods.com and using discount code ZEN2016. That's discount code ZEN2016. It's actually a really cool fuel for long rides because it's super easy to digest. And also, here's another thing. They don't freeze. A lot of bars, the competition, uses uh, stuff that will actually freeze when it gets cold. As we head into winter, Amrita bars stay soft. You can open one up and plow through it uh, nice and chewy and uh, they're date based it's really cool um, the way i eat amrita bars when i'm biking along is i open one up and or i'll maybe pre-open one before i get going on the bike but anyway i take a bite out of it like maybe a quarter or a third of the bar in one bite and then i fold the end of the wrapper back over the rest of the bar and then i put it on uh on my quad i stuff it up the front of my bike shorts from the uh, knee side kind of push it up in there and it stays flat with my quad right here right there and then um 20 minutes later 30 minutes later i just grab it pull it back out push the bar forward in the wrapper boom another bite and it keeps your stomach feeling so good super smooth super nice there's cardamom in it which actually soothes the stomach so all right that's it for Amrita Bars. Thank you so much for being a sponsor. Show them some love. Again, uh, discount code 2016, Zen2016 at Foods.com. And also they have, like I said, a big store with all kinds of cool gear, shirts, jerseys, water bottles, fun stuff like that. Go check them out. All right, back to the episode. All right, homies. What we're going to do during this uh, this reading of emails from people and uh, sponsor uh, names. Uh, I'm going to play some music to make it more entertaining. What I'm going to try to do is play different music like every time. And I think as long as I talk over the music, then I don't get in trouble because it's not like I'm playing the music. It's pretty much unlistenable to as far as like pirating. It's me talking over it and it won't get picked up by some like scanning program because there's too much of me talking over it anyway. So I am a big fan of, should we play Beastie Boys or Incubus or 311 is good. Um, let's do, uh, let's do some Beastie Boys. All right, here we go. Okay, let's see. If you want to donate to the show and support the show to keep it on the air and keep uh, Emily, my beautiful triathlete wife, from yelling at me that I'm wasting all my time, then you can go to the left side of zentriathlon.com, scroll down, and there is a link to donate by PayPal. And you can do a recurring donation. I get lots of those. Those are so cool. So you get, uh, let's see, it's $3.95 a month. And so you get like a dollar for an episode or uh, 50 cents an episode about, you know, however often I get a show out. And then you can also do a one-time donation, which is really cool. And also on the right-hand side, there's Hornet Juice, but we'll get to that in a minute since we just had a sponsor mention. Let's do, um, 
donations. And if you send in a donation, I got your name and um, I read your name on the show like I'm about to do. And also, you can get your question. If you email me a question, then I will answer your question on the air. And we have one from from uh, Constantin Schumann. And I have never heard somebody named Constantin before. It looks like it's maybe German. And I'm excited to read this one because this one's got some depth to it. Uh, he donated and then also happened to include this message. Hey, Brett. Hi, Brett. Uh, thank you for hosting the Zentri Podcast! Exclamation point. I've listened to five episodes now, and I am really glad to have found it. Is there any chance for you to get the vegan cyclist, also known, a.k.a. Uh, Tyler Pierce. That's what also known as means, a.k.a. Uh, or the infamous Carbmeister Durian Rider. Uh, he's the, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's a, he's a, he's a fruitarian. He eats all fruit, mostly fruit. And then he's a super cyclist though. So he eats some, uh, some, uh, rice, cooked rice on occasion, but he's mostly a, a fruitarian. And, um, I don't know much about the vegan cyclist, but I do know plenty about Durian Rider. Durian is a fruit, I believe, in, uh, Australia, um, the Pacific uh, southeastern India. It's really sweet, uh, cool fruit. Um, I'm sure you'll succeed on your vegan journey. Uh, oh, uh, and then he says, Mick Sportlichen Gruben aus Berlin. And, with an exclamation point. And, oh, by the way, I always mention the exclamation points. You put in six of them, I'll say six of them. And, let's see. I'm not so much vegan as I am... Let's answer that question first. People are like, Brett's vegan? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, I was vegan for a year, and I've kind of gotten away from that, but I am super, super plant strong. I'm big into it. I put hemp powder in my green smoothie. I had a green smoothie today that was two leaves of kale, a big handful of blueberries, coconut milk, then water, a little bit of stevia powder to sweeten it up, and then got a FedEx truck going by over. And then what else did I add to it? Oh, when, uh, to get it out of the blender, you know, it's kind of watery and runny. I put it in a Vitamix, pour it into a uh, big water bottle to drink. Uh, I finished it some, uh, just a little bit before lunch this morning after my swim. And then, um, so it's watery and runny to get it out of the blender. To rinse out the blender, you know, I pour the rinse water into the bottle as well. So I got, it's real watery. So then I put in like two heaping, two heaping scoops, tea, tablespoons of hemp powder in there. Hemp powder is awesome stuff, guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And it is uh, crazy, like um, two serving, a serving of hemp powder has as much protein as an egg. And, and it's got chlorophyll and fiber. Oh, it makes you feel so good. It's awesome. There's none of the marijuana in it either. So you don't have to worry about being all stoned out. And yeah, so for so for example, dude, being a vegan taught me how to eat my veggies, man, especially salads and stuff. Uh, it got me putting green stuff on everything. Um, but I'm not, I'm not so much into being vegan. Um, I'll go vegan, I'll, I'll go vegan for a few days and stuff like that, but I definitely am a believer. Okay, so we got that. Um, Durian Rider is controversial. He's always starting crap on the internet. 
And then, uh, but he's fun and he's smart. And if you, I've heard if you meet him in person, he's really nice and not like that at all. And then I don't know anything about Tyler Pierce, so I'm gonna have to look him up. But I'll tell you what, if you reach out to them and ask them to come on my show, then uh, and we start talking, you get them to contact me. I will definitely put them on the show. Uh, yeah, I've got some, uh, I got some guests in the queue. I need to take care of too. Uh, let's see, we have a donation. Uh, by Joseph Diber, or Deber, and Dwayne Morin, Joseph Rogalski, James Von Hippel, and Michael Redogna, and the coolest first name in triathlon, Brett Hoyer, which reminds me, there's this funny um, meme uh, tweet or something that went around, and it's a cockroach, uh, and it says, I, um, <laughs> this is funny. So guys, I uh, something about it didn't have uh, you know cockroach spray. So he sprayed a cockroach with Axe body spray, <laughs> and instead of killing the cockroach, now it changed its name to Brett, and it won't stop talking about CrossFit. <laughs> so I think it's freaking awesome. Okay, um, Brett Hoyer, yeah, um, Houston Marsh and uh, Karen Jackson, and my homie Justice Phillips, who finished running his uh, first 100 miler just a few weeks ago at the Rocky Raccoon. I was going to possibly, um, uh, I talked about it on a previous episode, I was gonna possibly run with him like as a, uh, as a, um, uh, not a pilot, what do they call it? Oh, gosh, I know the word. I just can't think of it right now. But anyway, you, you run with the person at the Rocky Raccoon, the second half of it. You can have a, um, a person run with you. They just can't carry any of your stuff. You know, uh, they just run next to you and give you, provide you as a pacer, provide you uh, company. And, uh, but anyway, he tried a year ago, and I, for, I can't remember what mile where he had to, uh, he had to cash out. Um, because, uh, I guess I'm trying to remember now if he went too fast. Um, and this year he slowed down, I guess, but I don't know. I, I don't have the email on me, but he was, um, uh, I'm, I'm, he did it. He did it, man. He did it. And he did it in the exact same amount of time I did. <laughs> it took me 26 hours and change. I don't remember now. And it took him 26 hours and he did it. So I know exactly what it feels like, man. So I am so proud of you, Justice. And uh, that's also one of the other coolest first names in uh, triathlon. And dude, now that you have run 100 miles, that unless you do 150 or 200, which is insane, that is the hardest thing that you can do in endurance sports and everything you do, you will compare it to on whether or not you, the time it will take, right? So um, the, the story I always use is when I was asked if I would swim across Lake Tahoe, um, the, uh, Jamie Patrick asked me and we sat down and took a minute or two to kind of calculate how long it would take me. And uh, we figured uh, 12 hours if I was amazing, 13, 14, 15 hours if uh, I was having trouble. That's just about how long it would take. It, it's swimming really easy at my pace. It's 22 miles across this stupid thing. It's nuts. Uh, my dad the other day goes, uh, I saw something on the internet about swimming across Lake Tahoe. It says like only 20 people have ever done it. And I go, that's right, dad. Right here, bro. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, it was thir 13 hours and I go, oh, Dude, 
that's half the time uh, it took me to, to run 100 miles. And yeah, I could totally do it. I, well, I mean, I think I can. So let's do it, right? So you can compare yourself. Now that you've run 100 miles and you've done something for 26 hours without stopping, then you know that you can at least do that. So everything else up until then is doable. It's really cool, man. So I'm really proud of you. Uh, thank you, Justice, for sending in a donation. All right, another way that we support the show is through Hornet Juice. Um, on the right side of zentriathlon.com, there's a link, it's purple and yellowish, and it's um, Hornet Juice is an amino acid that is synthetic Japanese killer hornet saliva. <laughs> It's like it's like it's like a whole bunch of words just stuck together, but it's true. It's Japanese. It's synthetic Japanese uh, <laughs> killer hornet saliva. Uh, Japanese killer hornets uh, fly are the animal that fly the um, the go the furthest distance uh, body weight to distance uh, ratio, and they do it by metabolizing body fat. And the body fat is metabolization is triggered by an amino acid that they that they eat that's in their saliva. So. Um, uh, the labs, Hornet Juice, uh, scientists sat down and they said, okay, what's in this? And they got the amino acids. It's already amino acids that are already known. And they, um, they, uh, but it's the ratio. It's like so much of this one and a little bit less of that and so much of this, so much of that. Anyway, one packet, one packet lasts an hour and a half. Um, I always use it on really long workouts. And I find that not only do I need quite as much fuel, um, I feel like a freaking diesel train, and it's that extra body fat, that's uh, that extra energy coming from body fat. You just feel like a motor, man. And it doesn't make you, it doesn't hype you up, it doesn't give you extra, you know, speed. It just makes the speed that you have never stop. So you can get up to cruising speed and just stay there. And it's a pretty good deal because one packet lasts an hour and a half. So you're gonna do like a three hour workout. That's only two packets. And uh, you can go and get a 10 pack or a 20 pack of packets by going to the right side of zentriathlon.com and buying it through there. And when you get it, it comes from New Zealand, which is kind of cool. And then also you get a personal email from me and then you have my email address and you can email me and ask me questions about all kinds of stuff. I get, I get emails all the time about, hey, I got one uh, that I need to answer. Somebody asked about what boot do I use to help. All right, sorry, I had to leave there for a minute. I got interrupted uh, with a phone call. Uh, my beautiful triathlete wife, uh, Emily, called and was all excited because she met Chuck Norris's mom <laughs> and like hung out with her for a while. She's like 96 or something. She said, uh, all kinds of interesting stuff about Chuck. Uh, Chuck Norris lives... 20 miles from here, 10 miles from here, from College Station. He lives in Navasota, Texas, which we go through all the time. Anyway, I'm back. So uh, Hornet Juice, um, I'll do a long ride and I'll have kind of a cruddy ride. I'll be kind of like, eh, that was kind of not all that amazing. Or kind of a long run. And I'll be like, nah, that was kind of not interesting or not maybe not worth it. And I, then I'll go, oh yeah, duh. I didn't use Hornet Juice in the stupid mix. <laughs> Uh, then I'll go and add Hornet Juice in my next one, and it'll be crazy good. Way, way, way better. I finished feeling strong and, like, recover faster, like, all this stuff. So, yeah. <clears throat> so check it out, Hornet Juice, and it's on the uh, right side of zentrathlon.com. And I always have to do the disclaimer, do not use it for sexual activities. That is not what it's for. We do not, we do not need 
endurance athletes uh, taking super energy uh, endurance formula stuff and then uh, getting crazy with it in the bedroom with each other because they may break the furniture and you, wherever you live probably doesn't have a, the deposit to handle that stuff. Always got to say that. It's not what it's for. It's for biking and running, you crazy people out there. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Okay, let's go ahead and get started with the training log. I talk about uh, maple syrup and fat metabolism and how to do your first race. Yeah, how to have success in your first race. All right. Okay, cool. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Funelli. Hi everybody, my name is Brett, I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! All right, welcome to a new training log. Start date, February 7th. Looking at my Sunto, Sunto Spartan Ultra smartwatch. Oh man, one of the reasons I love having a smartwatch is driving and your phone goes off with a text message and you can just look at your watch, which is already on your wrist, which is already on your steering wheel, hopefully, without having to pull out your phone and look down and away and see if it's actually worth answering. Yes, you decide. Choose yourself. <laughs> okay, first we're going to talk about how to have your good, your best first race. So the reason I'm talking about this is I put this into practice while uh, Kai was doing his first mountain bike race this weekend. And I thought I would, um, after years and years of coaching and learning about myself and other people, I thought I would... Uh, I was watching it happen, all the things that uh, were being done right and wrong, and I thought I would mention um, them on the podcast. Uh, Kai's first race was about 40-something minutes, and it was really technical, and it was a mountain bike race, which goes from, you know, uh, a whole bunch of people were at the start, start. They try to, you know, align them, sort of, but, you know, it's new, it's different, it's technical, uh, and he's never done it before, and that is um, uh, riddled with problems. Oh, the reason you want to have a good first race is because that can set the tone for the rest of your uh, career and it can set you up for issues that are uh, good or bad. Uh, Kai's very first swim meet, he did a swim and he didn't touch the wall. I think he was in breaststroke, and he didn't touch the wall with both hands, and the judge went right up to Kai. Uh, as Kai got out of the water and said, um, yeah, you're disqualified with no compassion whatsoever. And I just, oh my gosh, I, uh, I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to shoot that judge because it, it, it's not his fault. He didn't know. He didn't know that Kai was new. Right. Uh, and Kai's look of, of, uh, disappointment and you know, what have I done wrong? And then turns into, I don't want to do this anymore. And he doesn't want to be on swim team because of that first experience. Uh, so in the mountain bike race, I had my fingers crossed. I was praying to the Jesus 
Like, please, please, praying to Buddha, please don't have anything major go wrong. And the coach is really good. And the coach is, actually. And it's, hey, this is, the main thing is to have fun and uh, learn something. Try to come back learning something so you can improve for next time. And then I took Kai off to the side and many times said, look, mountain bike racing is not the same as any other kind of racing. Equipment failure will, um, equipment failure is rampant. It happens constantly. He had a flat tire the day before the race from a cactus thorn. And I said, uh, if you have a flat tire or something breaks on your bike, and there's a million things that can break on your bike because you're hitting all these rocks and dropping off of stuff, and there's all the dirt and sometimes mud and stuff that get caught up in this stuff. It is not your fault. You don't have enough experience yet. You haven't raced enough to know like how to, how to handle all this stuff and, and whatever. So number one goal is to have fun. Number two goal is just finish. <laughs> And I am proud of you. And I gave him the lowest bar that I could think of. I said, my very first mountain bike race, I made it three minutes, three minutes before my, um, before my bike broke, my derailleur broke off. I said, you make it more than three minutes and you've already beaten me. And he's very competitive with me. And then, um, I, I also, uh, rode the course and it took me 40-something minutes. And I never said the exact number because I don't really remember. It was like 43 or 46 or something like that. And uh, when he finished without having a flat tire, oh, and he used his GPS. And I said, you know, you have a, you have a problem and you have to get off your bike and fix something or something breaks or whatever. We will take that time off because that doesn't really count in your at his age and his level. Uh, it counts in the official records, but you know, how well he does. And I, and I said, uh, and we'll compare, uh, your time to mine and see how you do. And he beat my time. It took me when he finished, he did it in 41 minutes. And so I was like, you're faster than me. And he got in the top half out of 27. He got 13th place. And, um, because they stage him, uh, you know, fastest people first and from previous races and stuff. So we were so excited and he actually had a really good race. And then when he was done, he um, he got actually got right back on his bike and rode it around, <laughs> which was super cool. All right, I got to go in and get something done. I'll be right back. All right, we are back. Okay, so just to wrap it up, uh, there's things you can do to um, make sure that your your uh, first race of of a given sport, first event of a sport, first competition of a sport is um, uh, lead you to success for the rest of uh, your career doing that sport or if you're in charge of somebody else uh, or yourself. Um, the other thing that was uh, crucial is you pick something that's easy. And my, um, my first half Ironman was really, really, really difficult. And then I did more that were really difficult. I did two more and I almost quit. No, I didn't almost quit, but I had a very miserable time and could have uh, changed things uh, and progressed a whole lot easier had I not picked races that were in uh, the hill country 
of Texas, which is very steep, or in the Canyon Badlands of Texas, which is very steep. And all these races were in like June, July, or August. They were half Ironmans. One of them was the Lubbock, um, Buffalo Springs half. And then the other, the other two, well, the other one I did twice was, or maybe three times was in Bernie and, uh, which is extremely hilly. And it was in August or something like that. It was just ridiculous. And I remember my goal after doing these races was to just be able to run a half Ironman, the run portion of a half Ironman without stopping, regardless of my time or my, uh, speed running just to run the whole thing even though I could do it in practice you know I could run the half marathon in practice um, I was just having so much trouble knowing what I know now the heat and the hills uh, compared to uh, where I was training well the heat is it doesn't matter I mean it's insane 100 you know degrees <laughs> high humidity so anyway uh, no wonder I was having so much trouble and then a uh, year or two later I don't know how much long later it was but I did a half Ironman in Galveston and holy crap my time was way faster I breezed through it really enjoyed it had a good time even though it was hot it was humid I mean it wasn't that hot it was in mid early spring and not middle of summer and it's dead flat and um, I did you know so much better so when you pick your first races, remember that hills and heat and sometimes extreme cold um, can make it horrible, horrible. And pick something easy, both distance-wise and terrain-wise, and then move up from there. So my first ever ultra trail run should have been the Brazos Bend 50 and 100. And get, you know, get good at doing it on flat and then start increasing the, uh, the terrain and such. If you want to do it for a long time, you know, if you love the, the sport or whatever. All right. We need to mention you can, you can is a super starch. This is really cool stuff. It's a super slow acting carbohydrate, almost to the point of your body doesn't know what it's doing. It's like we're getting energy from somewhere else is happening. And it's really great for swimming. You want to go swim for an hour and not be needing to, uh, you know, take sips from a bottle on the side. You know, coach hits you over the head with a kickboard like my coach used to do. Quit jacking around. Get back in the water. Quit being lazy at the wall. Keep on swimming. And you can do this, especially in races, right? You're going to do an Ironman. You're going to be in the water for an hour. You're doing a half Ironman. You're going to be in the water for half an hour plus. You're, uh, you're going to be going and going and going. You don't have a chance to, to drink or, or uh, refuel out there. You can't drink out of a bottle while you're swimming. Well, you kind of can with UCAN because UCAN is a very, very slow drip carbohydrate. And so it slowly releases into your system. So you can kind of preload with this stuff before you're going to do something long. It also kind of saves uh, your teeth from all that sugar, right? Because you can power this stuff down. It's actually pretty easy to drink. And then you have energy for like an hour, hour and a half from this stuff. This is really cool. So it comes in different flavors. You have chocolate. Uh, you have some stuff with some protein added in if you want that. And uh, some electrolytes added in if you want that. And they also have uh, orange, tropical punch, and all this different stuff. All this different stuff. And so what I do is I get up in the morning. I drink uh, 
I have a little bit, a little bit of breakfast, a little tiny little bit of breakfast, some coffee, and then uh, right before I leave to go to the pool, I drink a bottle of Ucan uh, pretty quickly, and then uh, by the time I get to the pool, you got your energy, you feel nice and good, a slow release, and it just works, man. It's really amazing, and it's actually helped me break the habit of needing uh, sugar by the side of the pool. I think I've pretty much turned around, pretty positive. I've turned around my uh, needs for uh, sugar by using Ucan. I've become much less sugar dependent and way more uh, fat enhanced metabolism going on. And I did it through using Ucan. Uh, the latest thing that I've done with it is um, two, well, one time I did it uh, half the swim, but my latest was I did a full swim nonstop butterfly for one hour after drinking Ucan. 3,150 yards, nonstop, all butterfly, drinking Ucan the, uh, before I got to the pool. Chocolate f flavored was what I did. And I just swam uh, easy, smooth, and did the whole thing. It's all, I posted the workout. You can go check it out. <laughs> it was crazy. And I plan on doing it more because it was actually fun. It actually wasn't even all that hard. I just kept it easy. And you can do the same kind of stuff, a long, continuous workout, hour, hour and a half, without needing the fuel by pre-fueling with UCAN. Check it out. You go to UCAN, uh, webs UCAN's website. And they have uh, the opportunity for you to put in a discount code. If you use discount code ZENTRI, Z-E-N-T-R-I, all caps, you can get it 15% off. How about that? That's pretty cool. And then they turn around and send a little bit this way to ZENTRI itself. And, man, if that's not a good advertisement for these guys, this stuff works. It's awesome. I love it. You can get a discount. You can support ZENTRI. Get on it. Get on it. Break all that sugar. Break that habit, man. Get on something that's a little bit better for you with some you can. All right, let's get back to the episode. Here we go. All right, now, next thing I want to talk about is ketosis. Although I'm not a, I don't think ketosis is a, um, an actual, like maybe a great idea all the time, but a tip or a trick to get into ketosis, and that's where your blood sugar has. Uh, drop so low that you transfer over into using body fat instead of uh, carbohydrates as a fuel. It's all the rage. What a lot of people don't know is you store about, I think it's something like 600 to maybe uh, eight, uh, 900 or something like that uh, calories from blood sugar in your bloodstream and your liver. And Let's say you want to fast and then train your body, you know, to switch over and use that. Well, it's going to take a long, you got to fast all day. You're going to be hungry all day. <laughs> and then uh, finally your body's going to run out of that stuff and it's going to go, oh, um, let's do some, uh, let's use some body fat. I've got a trick for you. Um, and, and if you, the whole key is if you, um, if you dose yourself with, uh, periods of using uh, body fat, you know, like very low carb and carb fasting, uh, then you shock your body, you train your body to use body fat more, uh, and then you can, um, then your body's more capable of using it, more familiar with it, and uh, it brings your blood, supposedly brings your blood sugar levels down 
Uh, so there's a way to, to train yourself to do it. And that way is to work out. Now, if you, if you, uh, if you run, you burn about 100 calories per mile, let's say, maybe 90, but you burn about a 90 to 100 calories per mile. And you can uh, bike. It's about the same thing. At a medium effort, you burn about uh, 600 calories. You can deplete. If you took no fuel, notice people bonk at um, about hour, hour and a half of, um, of working out, right? Well, that's what you're doing. But you don't bonk per se. You don't want to go to that point. But you can work out uh, with very low fuel. Uh, low to none, but I do like uh, 100 calories maple syrup. Oh, we need to talk about that next. And then when you're done with your workout, you ever notice that when you're done working out, a lot of times you're not hungry? Well, that's a hormonal response. It's probably because you're running and your body wants to say, hey, running, he's probably chasing a uh, impala or a gazelle um, or a deer. So turn off hunger so and and burn some body fat uh, so that he can um, he can run because if you eat right it's gonna upset your stomach and you're not gonna be able to run very well so let's turn off hunger with some hormones and let's go uh, so that this person can run so you're, you're not very hungry right what I'm saying is use that you go all right I am not hungry so I'm actually not gonna eat for a while and guess what else you've done You've also, at the same time, burned through your glycogen reserves. And so you have very low blood sugar, right? You have low blood sugar and you're not hungry. So guess what has to happen? Your body has to use body fat to feed you. And you can do that frequently. You know, just when you, next time you work out, try this. Next time you work out, don't eat. Uh, for a while after you work out. I know there's a whole thing, you know, for improve your muscles and uh, rebuild and everything. Eat immediately after your workout. And I'm saying this is uh, a different purpose. This is to improve your metabolism, your fat adaptation. Yeah, that's what we should say. We should really do the whole ketosis thing. But to improve your fat adaptation um, and be less reliant on carbs is after a workout, don't eat for a while until you pretty much you can't stand it anymore. And then eat, uh, start slowly adding stuff in as you feel like you, you want to. And you'll notice that you become more and more fat adapted and less dependent on carbs all the time. All right. Yeah, next, let's talk about that maple syrup thing. Hope, I hope I remember when I come back on <laughs> my fuel for maple syrup. All right, out, bang. All right, let's talk a little bit about maple syrup. Oh man, uh, I noticed some gels started coming out uh, that are maple syrup. And also there were some interviews with some people that were kind of uh, wanted to do a little bit low, more slow carb while, while racing and training. And uh, we're trying maple syrup. So maple syrup has some very interesting properties. But first off, let me tell you about how to get it for cheap. You can get, if you buy the biggest container of maple syrup, grade A, grade B, maple syrup at the grocery store. One that's like a quart. Then all of a sudden the price goes down big time. You can buy gourmet maple syrup and it's really expensive. But I calculated that if you buy it in the quart thing, 
at a cheaper price or I mean that's the biggest I can find I'm sure there's a lot bigger then um, it cost 50 cents per serving pretty much 50 cents per 100 calories if you're gonna do a gel is a hundred calories of, of uh, regular stuff then you can get maple syrup for half as much which is cool right so now you're saving money and then the other I'm gonna give you all the upsides the upside is another amazing thing is it's not sticky it it's sticky until you rinse it with water and then it rinses right off so let's say you spill Gatorade or something with fructose and sucrose in it um, your typical gel whatever uh, even maltodextrin is sticky it gets on your handlebars right it gets on your fingers uh, on your hands well it gets sticky and and it attracts um, bees to I don't know if maple syrup doesn't attract bees. I've never know I never really thought about that bees and wasps but what I've noticed is with the maple syrup solution we're gonna call it that the maple syrup solution then it's not sticky it's sticky and then you just rinse it with a little bit of water and washes right off and I have a theory oh that's really really handy I mean that's super cool and then I have a theory that that helps prevent cavities because it doesn't stick to your teeth that you take a swig of your maple syrup drink uh, carb drink and swallow that and then when you take a sip of water to wash it down you just switch the water around and it get, knocks all the maple syrup off your uh, teeth and then you don't have sugar all over your teeth theoretically another upside is it's a little bit slower of a carb than straight sugar the, the typical sugars so you don't get as quite quite as high a carb rush and then a carb crash and then hold on I'm taking a drink a drink of my buttered coffee hold on it's for real I'm drinking it out of Emily's mug with candy skulls all over it and sweetened with stevia and then the next thing is let's see uh, yeah not as high a carb rush and a carb crash doesn't stick to your doesn't stick to you oh it tastes awesome man so you're uh, oh, there's, there's another thing too about how it mixes uh, it tastes awesome it doesn't um, it tastes like you're <laughs> you're at International House of Pancakes at IHOP and you're you're drinking uh, it tastes like you're still eating pancakes and bacon and and uh, and eggs I mean like it's so crazy it's um, it's oh, the flavor is so rich because maple syrup is sweet and just the tiniest bit buttery which is really cool and there was one more thing what was oh how it mixes so you can um, you know how like if you make Gatorade from scratch you know you buy the powder or you do a gel right and you mix it in the water because the best way to do stuff is to mix it in the water that way it's diluted and um, then uh, it's not too hard on your stomach you don't want to do it at concentrate levels right well I wake up in the morning to to uh, or not wake up in the morning I get ready to do a workout and I put how much maple syrup I want into uh, whatever I'm going to drink it out of, say a water bottle, for example, and and I measure it on scale. I'll tell you that in a, in a minute how I do that. And then um, I then I pour water into it, and it mixes instantly. The whole thing where I said, you know, you can um, rinse it really quickly off of stuff because it rinses off because it's not sticky. Well, that also is is what is making it mix instantly instantly you don't have to sit there and shake it and hope for the sugar to get around or, or shake up the gel or blend it or anything like that it's instant which is super cool all right i gotta go into w to the erk i'll tell you more about it in a minute about how i make mine uh, for different types of workouts be right back
All right, I am back. Let's talk a little bit about how I make my maple syrup. I'm in my car watching Kai's mountain bike practice here at the park. I'm overlooking a field. Let me turn. Let me turn off the the Nissan Mobile M Nissan Xterra uh, Mobile Studios and. Let's see, how do I make my maple syrup? I make it a lot like I'd make any fuel, but it's a little bit easier. So first, a digital scale. And I bought a cheap digital scale, at, probably at Target or Bed Bath & Beyond. And I put my bottle on it. The bottle that I'm gonna put my fuel in, I put my bottle on it before I turn it on. And then when I turn it on, it's self uh, zeros. So it says, um, it doesn't count the bottle that's on it, so it, uh, or whatever you've got on it, if you're weighing anything. And lately, I've been setting it to grams because I know that 20 grams is about uh, 50 to 60 calories of, uh, of of carbs. And so I'll say, okay, I'm going to bike or run, let's say for an hour, and I just want a nice uh, soft trickle of carbs to uh, keep me happy and uh, to keep me hydrated because carbs bring hydration with them, right? That whole, uh, what's the name of that? those the two latest uh, fueling company, Osmo, right? So uh, carbs help you keep, keep, keep you hydrated, actually, just a, a little bit. And so I'll say, okay, I want about a hundred, no, about 150 calories of uh, carbs while I um, do this hour workout because I'm going to be doing some intervals mixed in and it'll just be nice. So that would be 20, 40, if it's about 50 something uh, calories uh, per 20 grams, so it'd be 20, 40, 60 grams of maple syrup. So I could have already had some water in the bottle if I wanted to, but I found with maple syrup because it mixes so easily that I just, um, I pour the uh, big quart container of maple syrup into the, into my water bottle, like a bike water bottle, um, while it's on the scale and the scale climbs from zero to eight, 13, uh, 25, you know, it starts climbing. And then when it hits, let's say in this example, 60 grams of, um, of maple syrup, then I know that I've got about 150, uh, calories. Is it, is that what I said? 20, 40, 60. Yeah. I've got about 150 calories of, uh, sugar in my, uh, bottle. And then I take it off the scale, put the scale away, haha, -ha. <laughs> hopefully. And then I just add water and top off the bottle. Now I've got my um, water bottle full of uh, diluted solution so that I can um, have a nice workout. Now you could uh, add some uh, electrolytes, sodium, like a uh, salt stick, which is what I do. I'll crack open a capsule and uh, put it in there sometimes, depending on how hot it's going to be or how long I'm going out there. And uh, you can get your salt stick at, go to saltstick.com slash Zentry. I'll throw an ad in here too. But, um, and then the, the security code to get through there is Zentry again, and you get a discount on salt stick. And 
then that salt mixes, salt mixes with water, electrolytes mixes with water really well too. And then there you go. Now, let's say you want to go for a three hour bike ride, right? Or you're going to do an Ironman. You're talking five, six hour bike ride. Then I would be okay with doing up to, man, two hours, three hours worth of fuel um, in one bottle. And then you sip on it and then uh, immediately follow it with water uh, from your water uh, storage that you got, water bottles all over your bike or whatever you grab. Um, a lot of people do that. You do a concentrate of, uh, of fuel bottle and then you have like two, three bottles of concentrate for your epic long thing. You can put it in your uh, halfway bag, your special needs bag when you're uh, going through the bike or going through the run. And it works really, really good. Uh, maple syrup is what I used during uh, when I did my self-supported Ultraman. So you're talking um, day one. Well, day one, day one swim was a 10K swim, so 6.2 miles, and then a 90-mile bike ride. And then day two bike ride was 172 miles or something like that bike ride. And I used maple syrup. Um, with a little bit of green tea and other stuff mixed in kind of here and there, but primarily maple syrup. And I eventually bonked a little bit towards the end, although I was okay. I just got kind of bonky um, because I wasn't eating enough, but I did not get an upset stomach. It worked really, really well. So let's see. Uh, this morning I went for a run, and I have uh, two running bottles that you clip to your – they're 10 ounces each, and they clip to your side of uh, – What's it's not the platypus. What is it called? I've got a brand of um, running belt that you can wear on your waist. And I put my phone in the pocket in a snack size Ziploc to keep it waterproof. And I run with uh, Jaybird um, wireless Bluetooth waterproof headphones, sweatproof headphones, and then with a flask on each side and in one flask I put my um, if I have fuel I put it in one flask and then if I have and, and then I have water in the other or just water in both and then what I'll do is um, every five minutes I'll take the tiniest sip it takes me an hour you know to drink all this but every five minutes I'll take a sip of the uh, sugary solution and then immediately a sip of the watery solution to wash it down and then I'm doing that slow slow drip of uh, carbs so that I don't get a uh, sugar spike and also I do sugar and then water and sugar and then water immediately after to, um, to to clean the sugar out of my teeth and it seems to work really really well now of course you don't have to use maple syrup you could use you know whatever you got out there but this whole bit was to talk about how I found that uh, maple syrup works really really well and this was the first, making this uh, recording was the first time that I sat down and actually calculated how much money I'm either spending, I'm wasting or saving. And it looks like I'm saving money. If I'm doing, I was, now that I know my numbers, when I went uh, and ran this morning, I was like, man, this is costing me 50 cents <laughs> in fuel. And I'm like, that is worth it. Had a good run. Um, I never spiked my blood sugar. It's such a slow, oh, that was the other thing uh, about maple syrup is supposedly it's slower 
it's partially metabolized by your liver, I've heard. So if you look up the glycemic index, the glycemic load of maple syrup, it's slightly less than some of the uh, super fast stuff. It's still pretty fast. On a scale of 1 to 100, and let's say uh, high fructose corn syrup or maltodextrin powder or whatever is 100, it's like... Um, I'm pulling these numbers out of my butt, by the way, so I'm not, I'm not sure, but I remember it's like, it's like 80, it's like 80%, 90% of, um, what the super fast stuff is. But honestly, maybe that's all you really need. I mean, you need stuff to get to your bloodstream, so you don't want it to be, uh, you don't want it to be, you know, 50%. That's not fast enough. It'll build up in your system and then, uh, make you sick to your stomach because you can't process it fast enough or process it. All right. I think that's it for this episode. I'm, uh, I'm really excited. I've already got the interview with Dan from Uberman, Uber Dan, uh, recorded. Things are going really well around here. I'm really kind of on a, on a endorphin and, um, uh, neoepinephrine, I guess is what it is. The hormones, uh, kind of on a high today because I just went for a jog. Let's go back to the training log here. I went for a jog this morning and I went out, um, let's say, uh, you know, when you start running, you're slower because your body's not warmed up yet. And towards the end of your run, you're faster. Let's say if it's just an hour, you know, not like a, if you're doing a three hour run, you're probably going slower at the end, <laughs> I hope. But the, um, let's say you're doing an hour run, you start off slower. So I would run out this morning. I tried something. I go, let's quit trying to run for an hour and do loops and like, like add on this and that and the other. Cause what it's leading me to do is try a little bit too hard and, you know, to get a certain distance, I'm trying to do like, I'm trying to build my distance with my injury, um, gradually. So I'm all focused on, you know, my distance and too, too much focus on numbers and pace and whatever. And, you know, am I doing okay? How fast, you know, am I going fast, uh, enough? And I thought, I'm just going to, I want to run for an hour. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run out. I'm going to run an out and back with no, no side projects. And there's a kid doing a wheelie. It's pretty good. The, um, I'm going to run out and back. Now, how do you compensate for the fact that you're probably going to be running out faster or slower than you run back? So I go, hmm, I'm going to run out 31 minutes. And then I'm going to turn around at 31 minutes. And when I run back, I'll probably be a little bit faster because I've been warmed up and now I'm cruising at a better speed. And that's what I did. And that's what happened. I ended up back at my, uh, back on my street at, uh, one hour exactly. And I had a really nice feeling like when you go surfing or you do something really cool and fun, like this really nice high of a, of a, um, relaxed, feel good contentment. And they say that's, you know, like I get, I don't remember if it's serotonin or not, but ser- serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine of just, ah, uh, like, like you're high. Like it's really cool because my run was so relaxed. I didn't push the pace. I didn't need to push the pace. I'm like, my pace will naturally increase. So whatever it is, it is. And I uh, just jogging easy and with my hour run and I loved it. Super cool. Ah, that's your Zen, Zen moment is you can have a, uh, 
you can have a, uh, oh man, I got so much Zen stuff I got to talk about on, I'm queuing it up for future episodes of, um, uh, good, good stuff. I'll, I'll give you a tidbit. Uh, ask what instead of why. Uh, Zen is all about the experience, like what's going on right now, here and now, be in the moment, right? Um, don't assign additional meaning to stuff. So when you're talking to somebody, this is really good at work, and you're like a manager or something like that, and you ask what's going on. Don't ask, so something's broken or they're freaking, somebody's you know got some projects or whatever, they did something wrong. You don't, don't ask, why did you do that? Because now that's accusatory and it's like they're doing it wrong or whatever. You ask, uh, what's happening? What did you do? <laughs> not, not like, uh, like, what did you do? But you just say, oh, what's, what's, uh, yeah, what's happening? Uh, what instead of why? And then that's just the facts, right? And then they start telling you the facts and you go, oh, okay, cool. Right. Um, so somebody's driving a new car, you know, they've, and they, their ego's all wrapped up in their car, right? Because that defines you, you think. And you're like, oh, um, instead of saying, why did you get that car? Say, what kind of car did you get? And they'll say, oh, I got this. And you go, okay, that's cool. And if they want to tell you why, that's fine. But ask the what instead of the why. What kind of bike do you ride? Not why do you go ride every weekend, right? Because now the person gets all defensive about their ego and what they're doing in life. You just ask the what. Isn't that cool? I'm going to try it. I just heard about it today. And uh, I'm going to start giving it a, uh, a try for a while. I'm going to try it on Kai. I try all my experiments on Kai. <laughs> and speaking of that, he's wrapping up his practice. So let's go ahead and wrap up the show. And I'm going to load up his bike on the back. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. <laughs>